Hello, listeners. This is Mix Bell Morgan, and this is Fishnets and Philosophy. Welcome back. I've missed you. For my comeback to this podcast, I am going to be doing a deep dive into the Saw franchise and the Saw films. I will be joined by the wonderful Ariel Powers Schaub as we discuss the films in detail. Each episode will be split for two films and we will discuss those films in spoilerific detail. So if you want to listen to this discussion and you haven't watched any of the films, please go and watch the films and then come back and listen. And then let us know your thoughts. I hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome back to Fishnets and Philosophy. This is your host, Mix Bell Morrigan. And if you haven't been listening, we are almost halfway through our deep dive of the Saw franchise. And I'm once again joined by Ariel Paris Schaub, who does a lot of writing for Ghouls Magazine. And you can find them on Twitter as Ari underscore Hellraiser. Go follow them for all this amazing horror writing and just being part of the horror community. So picking off where we left off with the last episode where we finished reviewing episodes three and four, we're jumping straight into five and six. So we're really into the swing of things with the franchise now, very much kind of in the in the nitty gritty parts of it. So with five, uh the director is David Hackle, so a different director of the previous film, which again I guess you kind of have that set like feels a little bit disjointed in that sense but the writers are the same Melton and Dunstan and they actually continue on to six as well so at least there's a bit of a connective thread I'm wondering overall what you think of five as a film like myself I kind of I kind of feel it's a bit like you know when there's like a tv show that has like 22 episodes halfway through the season there's like one or two episodes that are little just kind of filler episodes they don't really do much Uh they don't really push the narrative I kind of feel like five is that in film franchise format I'm wondering what you think of five as a whole as a film I completely agree um it's fine it, you know, it's it's not the worst of the franchise. It's not the best of the franchise. It's a perfectly fine middle segment. It sets up a lot to, mm. to work on later, but it, it there's filler. I mean, the the traps that we follow are really just meant to be there so that there's traps. But mm-hmm. the movie, really the plot of the movie is about setting up Hoffman and, and what's he going to do next. So yeah, it's a little bit of a filler. Um, I have skipped it a few times on rewatches just because <laughs> I'm kind of like, yeah, I remember what this one is about. Yeah, and I kind of like it definitely in obviously contrasted almost to three, which was very much Amanda's story. Like this one, five and yes. six almost intertwined, but definitely five kind of feels like it's Hoffman's backstory. And like, yes. even though the film as a whole, like, you know, as a it's fine like it's not the worst it's not the best I did kind of enjoy how you were given the pieces of Hoffman's backstory as Strom is doing his own investigation I kind of like that narrative choice of like you follow Strom on his investigation and as he's investigating you're given Hoffman's backstory I thought it was done nicely because sometimes I feel like if you're relying too heavily on flashbacks it can kind of get a little bit overdone but I thought they did it yeah. neatly they did it worked it well but uh, in the notes um that you gave me coming up to discussing this whole deep dive like your your one thing beside five was the stram trap and i'm just wondering (laughs) do you mean like because there he he kind of falls into almost two traps like he's because he does it's the first one and then there's obviously his demise spoiler (laughs) um at the end of five so which trap was it that kind of stood out for you the beginning one that he actually survives or his demise at the end yeah that's a fair question um i was referring to the water cube trap the Mm -hmm. first one although the the one where he meets his demise is all-time great trap but the water cube one it's like 
how's he going to get out of this? And then he gives himself a tracheotomy. It's one of the craziest things. You know, I know I just got done saying this is a filler episode and <laughs> I still think that's true, but that tracheotomy is one of the, like, that's up there with Dr. Gordon sawing off his foot in terms of like, what will you do to survive? That was mm. crazy. Yeah, and ingenuity and kind of, I was just like, oh, very MacGyver-esque of Strom uh -huh. right here to just be like, what do I have in my vicinity to save myself? And um, so, yeah, no, I did yeah. think it was quite uh, interesting, but I thought when you compare how he, you know, survives that the water cube and then his own demise at the end, I kind of feel like both of them are very much kind of reflective of Stram as a character of his arrogance in the sense that like so the water cube trap he's like so arrogant I refuse to die and uses the trachea to kind of survive and then at the end his arrogance and thinking he's caught Hoffman ends up actually falling into Hoffman's trap so I thought that was a like if you compare the two it's a good kind of it sums up his character pretty well <laughs> yes it does yes it does I agree and they're both boxes right mm -hmm. like they're both claustrophobic trapping you in burying you drowning type of of containment and i think you know that if if you really want to get analytical about it like strom had trouble sinking outside of the box which is mm -hmm. why it took him so long to catch on to hoffman and as soon as he started catching on to hoffman he was boxed in again so i i definitely think there's something there for strom 100 and i do like how five as a film like it is it's almost like a cat and mouse game between the two of them yes. I do think like and I don't know it's like the Saw films as a whole very much are kind of elaborate whodunits but I kind of like mm -hmm. how five really lean oh my nail popped off I will cut that out of the episode <laughs> oh no um, it happens <laughs> it happens yeah that's the downside of wigs anyway <laughs> um but yeah, but it's like really much like a whodunit between Strom and Hoffman. And I kind of like that cat and mouse element of like who's going to outdo each other. I thought that was one of the, I guess, redeeming qualities of Five. But the yes. one thing that really kind of stood out for me for Five, like as a film, kind of watching it. And like it was kind of just because of where we are as a society after the two years of being in a pandemic. Episode Five is very much kind of, I guess, Hoffman's like concept of morality and working together and that's what this test for all these random strangers that are together and as the film goes on and they start you know being put against each other and whittling down you realize at the end that the test was that they just had to kind of work together for each other's benefit if they had a state all five would have survived and I thought you know, that's quite a very apt um, and mm -hmm. discussion and observation of humans in a stressful situation because this whole last two years could have been if people just kind of worked together, things probably would have been better. And I kind of thought yes. watching five in that reframing makes it have a bit more of a more powerful impact than I'd say when it initially came out when we weren't in the midst of a pandemic. I'm wondering what you think of that test as a whole that kind of goes throughout mm -hmm. the film do you think it's really saying some form of a message or is it just I'm over analyzing it now that we've been two years into a <laughs> pandemic <laughs> a lot of movies hit differently after the pandemic right mm -hmm. like it's hard it's hard to watch so like all movies about outbreaks or zombies it's like oh no now that's <laughs> too close to home um so I definitely know what you mean because as you said, all five of them could have survived if, if they would have worked together um, and thought about the greater good for the group instead of just their individual survival, which, yes, that hits different after, you know, in the midst of this pandemic. Um, narratively in the film, I think it's really interesting because they all had to work together to do that destructive plan that they had. Mm -hmm. You know, they all set in motion this plan to burned down a house that had people still living in it so that they could build new development. And each one of them relied on the other to make that plan finish. But mm -hmm. then when it came to their survival, they couldn't do that again, or they, they didn't think to. Um, and this is interesting too, because it's the first time that the franchise gets meta. Mm -hmm. These victims have heard of Jigsaw 
at least a couple of them have and they're like you have to follow the rules and so they you know they kind of go into it thinking we've been set up to die because we know people die in jigsaw traps mm -hmm. so they were kind of primed in that way but they'd work they'd all worked together before but they couldn't do it again yeah no that's really interesting i think as a franchise it kind of had to go that direction because i'd imagine like you know after having that many films yes if people and it, it tends to all happen in the one city as well so if people weren't aware of the fact that there was a notorious jigsaw killer it would be pretty hard to kind of believe that so i think yes. the film almost had to go that direction that the general populace was aware of this so it was interesting how they kind of worked that in and yeah again with those five characters like saw really has a good way of just giving you random characters that you just don't care for like as in like none yes. of them are really kind of ones that you're rooting for to kind of survive this test so it makes it more interesting to see if someone will um because you don't really care for any of them so it's just like right yeah make i think it's hard to kind of get invested in those characters when they always are almost very stereotypical just on the paper they don't really have much depth because there's too many people to spend time with um, exactly so do you think as a whole that might be one of the i guess slight drawbacks of the franchise that it does have so many i guess disposable characters um it's a drawback in one way like if if what you're looking for is a character study the franchise definitely offers that but it does go up and down mm. the good thing about the disposable characters is it can give us the other thing we love about saw which is the traps and the yes. kills <laughs> so i'm willing to allow it uh because then we get to see things like uh you know the the pipe bombs made with the the glass jars that mm. explode nails everywhere and um the bathtub where you have to electrocute someone's and the pints of blood filling up so i'm like yeah okay at least you gave me that <laughs> yeah it's 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 a, it's a compromise we can make when we're, we're yes. we go in kind of knowing what we're getting with the saw films which i think mm -hmm. is like as you said it's almost like on the flip side of it like that's i think what's almost the comfort with the saw films in that you know what you're getting even if like yes. they're going to give you the twist so there's going to be something that kind of like you know they pull the rug out from under you in some way so there's that mystery that's always going to be at the end of the film there's going to be a twist but at least you know going into a saw film i'm going to get what i'm expecting and it's almost like a comfort going into a saw film even it if is. it's not the best film like five you still know it's a saw film i'm going to get what you know i'm going to get what i expect right it's like a frozen pizza. It's like, is it the best pizza you could ever get, you know, from the best Italian restaurant? No, but you know, you like it. You know what you're getting. It's consistent every time. And you're like, I want frozen pizza tonight. Exactly. I, I like that analogy. It's a good comparison. <laughs> but um, Speaking actually of comparison, it's a nice segue I've made for myself. I think one of my favorite things about Five was just those flashbacks to literally just Jigsaw, literally just criticizing Hoffman's ability to set up traps. Yeah. Like just like, I thought that was a really like interesting kind of like, just again, showing the inner mind, the inner workings of like a killer of he's just kind of just like, you're really shoddy like just like criticizing his workmanship going god if you're going to try and do this if you're going to try and Im imitate me at least do it well <laughs> i'm just like <laughs> yes wondering like what you kind of think about that giving i guess more insight into jigsaw because each film does mm -hmm. that as the films go on you get more and more into jigsaw and kramer and his mind and i definitely think the fact that tobin bell does come back for each film definitely helps give that connective tissue so I'm wondering what you yes. think about this extra insight into Jigsaw's mind as him and Hoffman interact for the first time I think um you know a as far as holding the franchise together I think the franchise really needs it and mm -hmm. I, I agree like Tobin Bell does an excellent job and it's a way they keep him alive right because he dies in the third movie and there's still so many movies to go but we get to keep him alive in this way of looking back and learning more about his past and the relationship between john and hoffman is interesting because i don't think they ever respect each other mm. um 
you know, Jigsaw, he didn't like being copied. And so he wanted to give Hoffman a chance to like learn how to do it better and try to have another acolyte. Mm -hmm. But Hoffman and Amanda don't ever get along either. And so I'm always kind of like, what are you there? What are you doing, Hoffman? Like, what are you doing there? And there's they're setting up a trap at one point. And John says, you know, make sure you check with me next time. And Hoffman says, how many more next times are there going to be? Like he's mm -hmm. serving out a sentence or something. Um, but then he takes everything he learned and turns into a murder machine just to keep cops off his trail and save himself. And so I feel like Hoffman's very impulsive, whereas John Kramer is very uh, strategic. Mm -hmm. And they just never make it work, the two of them. Yeah, no, 100%. And I do like in five there is that one flashback scene that does show i guess they're kind of almost like at an impasse with each other you know in the sense that mm -hmm. like jigsaw kramer kind of goes look i know you're i know who you are i know you're a cop you can arrest me if you want but i know who you are so that means it's also the end right. of your career so it's kind of like hoffman's like in a in between a rock and a hard place he doesn't really have a choice but at the end of the day he started off as a killer by you know yes. frame like setting up and killing the person who killed his sister and trying to frame it on jigsaw which is how jigsaw discovered who he was and um, so it's interesting so it's like it's not exactly like he was being forced either because he put himself in that situation by enacting his revenge on his sister's killer so i want, yeah. I want to know what you think about because that's in a way, both of them are very much motivated by revenge. Like, yes. as in, that's what kind of motivates both of them. But they're almost like coming at it from very different perspectives and angles as well. Like, Hoffman is seeking revenge for something he already had and lost. Whereas more Kramer and Jigsaw is seeking revenge for the potential of something so i'm just want to know exactly. like what you think about those comparisons like what that says about each of their motivations and maybe that's why they never actually really could work together because they're coming from different perspectives yeah i think that is a really important point um you know hoffman has a real singular focus his sister was everything to him and when he lost his sister his focus became i'm going to avenge her and he didn't really have like a plan beyond that. Mm -hmm. That was just what he was going to do. And John even confronts him saying, look, you're drinking in bars every night. You don't have a life anymore. Like, why don't you come work with me? Whereas John has a much greater, like more big picture focus. Mm -hmm. And he is avenging, you know, the loss of, of potentially being a father. But he's also like scattering it out among anyone else he can find. Whereas mm -hmm. Hoffman was like, I'm going to kill Seth Baxter. He killed my sister. Then we're going to be even. Jigsaw's like, I'm going to find every bad dad in the world <laughs> and I'm going to punish him. And so they they have some things in common and they have some things that make them really different. Mm. And I'm not sure Hoffman would have gone on and done a bunch more murder left to his own devices but he does become like he racks up more kills than anybody else i think in the franchise because he just starts killing people to save himself yeah it's like it is actually quite interesting how it's like he kind of has to just keep killing to try and keep on top of everyone else like it makes mm -hmm. it makes it quite when you do compare his kills to jigsaws it makes it rather interesting doing that comparison because like every kill of kramer's of jigsaws like has as you said like a very like deliberate kind of mytho mythological approach as in it's like it's serving a purpose his own you know i guess perverted idea of what that purpose is but it's serving mm -hmm. a purpose whereas like hoffman is just more impulsive I don't want to get caught, so I'm going to have to try and keep killing these people. <laughs> it's, exactly. It's an, it's an interesting comparison comparing the two. And I think, as we kind of said at the, and at the outset, five and six are kind of very linked. Like, So it's going to be hard to kind of just do five and then six. So we'll kind of be going into both. So I think with Hoffman, his story, you kind of see from five 
it carry on directly into six and yes six becomes obviously more more interesting because it's less less of the flashbacks and more just happening as the film progresses and it's like a reverse whodunit instead of like like Stram investigating Hoffman trying to find prove that Hoffman is who he says he is it and Hoffman actually being the one that's trapping them like the FBI is like now honing in on Hoffman and I liked seeing Mm -hmm. that also the FBI agent you realize that she didn't die in the previous film she's actually still alive and I thought that was a nice twist at the start of the film and it you kind of just the, the six progresses with Hoffman just on his toes for the rest of the film. So I kind of want to what I want to know what you think as we move from five into six and the two films connect the like rest of Hoffman's story. Like, do you think it kind of gets told like, like concretely and pretty well? I do. Um, you know, in five, we also bring in Jill Tuck mm-hmm. and her story and Hoffman's story are connected. In five, she gets this box and we're like, what's in there? We don't know what it is. And then six, we learn what is in there. And so she and Hoffman are supposed to be working together to execute John's final wishes. And we'll get into that more, I know. Um, But Hoffman's story, I think, really goes well from where it leaves off in the fifth one. Because by the end of the fifth movie, you're like, well, he, he did it. He's mm-hmm. good. Like he killed Strom. Perez was on to him, but Perez is dead. He framed Strom successfully. But then you go into the sixth movie and like Perez isn't dead. And there's all these things that he did with his kind of impulsiveness in, in framing Strom that are catching up to him, like Freon being on Strom's fingerprints. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to narrow in on him. And I think it's just a really good picture of his hubris Mm -hmm. and his impulsiveness where he's like i did it i wrapped up all the loose ends and then the thing that he didn't think of was his voice on the tape um which is how they eventually kill him and that scene is so tense and so well done you know the whole time you're just like no (laughs) and Perez and Erickson, the FBI agents, you can tell they're onto him the whole time, mm-hmm. but they don't have enough to really bring anything against him, which is what leads to their demise. So, yeah, I think it's it's a very good portrayal of like w- w- the mess Hoffman's gotten himself into. Mm-hmm. And actually speaking on that with Perez and Hilton and that idea that they because you do get the sense that they're kind of onto him like almost from the start and I want to know what you think because obviously six shows explains what happens in five that they you know you know hid Perez from Hoffman so I want to know like do you think that they ever believed that Strom was the one that actually, you know, did it? Did, did, do you think they believed Hoffman's framing of Strom? Or do you think straight away they knew that Strom was unfortunately just a victim and they were already suspecting Hoffman? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think that there was a time where they did believe it. Mm-hmm. Um, at the, I think it's near the end of the fifth movie, Erickson's making a call and he's like, yeah, that's right. Special agent Strom. And he's like, we got the fingerprints. Um, and, and I think at that time he's just so distraught and upset that he doesn't really think it through. But then later when he has a chance to think it through, he's like, maybe that's not what happened. Um, but it's hard because he doesn't really show his hand either. Like he's got quite a poker face. You never know. Yeah, he's he's a very good, believable FBI agent. You can't really tell what right. what's on in his mind. Like, and um, I thought that he was a well played character in that sense, very cold and calculating. And speaking yes. of cold and calculating, that's kind of very much, I guess, the run through premise of Six, which Six as a film is really really leans into the heavy social commentary, which I kind of think was missing in Five because didn't really have other than maybe like reframe looking at it from a post-covid perspective about that thing right. about humans and selfishness and stuff like that that's a maybe but there wasn't a really strong like kind of social commentary angle to five in previous yeah. films it was addiction and stuff like that that's really missing in five because it's literally just giving us Hoffman's backstory so I like how six kind of goes back to that 
almost Kramer-esque style of having something that's being talked about. And six is very much about the cold calculation of medical insurance. And I want to know, because I'd imagine that you being someone who lives in America, where this film takes place and makes this commentary on medical insurance very apt, I want to hear your thoughts. Because to me, someone who lives in Ireland it it it's it, it's cruel but it's also like i can't relate because this type of thing doesn't happen here so i want to know what your thoughts on first like six as a film as a whole but also it's commentary like do you think it's a powerful commentary and it really hits a point yes uh i was i was so excited to talk about this film with you <laughs> <laughs> um i think six is a banger mm. six is great like the hoffman storyline is very tense the way it plays out the social commentary the traps jill's arc the mystery the twists like six is definitely in my top you know half of the franchise like especially after kind of a you know not super exciting five six is like just wakes you back up um, and I do have a lot of feelings about the American health insurance system, um, having lived with that my whole life. And uh, I will say for, for anyone listening who's not familiar with it, it is absolutely true. Like the portrayal that they have in there is absolutely true. I mean, I think the the office where people are being very evil on purpose is probably not true. I think it's regular people going to regular jobs that just happen to have these downstream effects on on people. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure no one is sitting there twirling their mustache meaning to do this. But the formula that William Easton lays out of we figure out if you're going to spend us money or make us money and we will or won't treat you, the way they will take care away from you if they can find any reason to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you didn't report that you had your teeth out when you were 10. So now you can't have heart surgery. Like that is 100% real. And I've been through that. Everybody I know in America has some story like that or someone in their family does. Mm-hmm. And in my family, we have some health problems and some chronic illness. And it's a constant battle of, you know, are they going to pay for this? Are, how much will they pay for it? And it's all very confusing. Like, Mm -hmm. you should be able to just understand what your plan pays for and what you're paying for. But it's real. they make it hard to understand. And so sometimes you think something's covered and then you get a bill. And then there are some things that are like not covered ever, like ambulance rides. And (laughs) it's like, you're just a person who, you know, if you fall and break your leg on the sidewalk, now you're in debt for the rest of your life, potentially, depending on what your life situation is. And health insurance is also tied to your employment. Mm -hmm. And not all employers offer health insurance. A lot of part-time work doesn't offer health insurance. So that's if you're even lucky to have insurance. Like, I have good health insurance. I consider myself very lucky to be in this confusing, evil situation, (laughs) you know, because it could be worse. I could have none. So I do have a lot of feelings about it. And when John Kramer says to William Easton, you know, decisions should be made between patients and their doctors, not the government, but they're not made by patients and their doctors. They're made by the fucking insurance companies. I wanted to stand up and cheer because it is a hundred percent true. So I'll pause there because I just went off on a little mini rant, (laughs) but um, I love six because I think it nails the commentary. 100%. And I definitely think like, the way that we've kind of split up the discussion of this deep dive by doing two ep- two films per episode, it, it really makes I think like five and six a uh, a nice palatable double bill because five yeah. five on its own not terrible but it's like a little bit okay and then six really kind of hits you like you know and yes. it just st- it makes makes six stand out more when you watch it just after five because I think. The best way, I think, actually to watch the Saw films is to just watch them in unison because they're so connected. Like, you kind of really mm-hmm. need to be watching them to kind of pick to get piece together the threads. Um, So five and six go nicely together. And yes. I love how, like, six as a film, to me, it really felt like it kind of went back to that good Saw formula of kind of having, like, 
a test that goes throughout, but also really elaborate traps, having that commentary. And it just kind of, I don't know, there's a lot, lots going on with it. And I think as a film, it reframes a lot of the franchise as well, which makes kind of yes. Sith stand out. And I, I want to know what you think, because I know when we discussed like four, like one of the things that was almost like, I guess, like it felt like it rubbed you the wrong way was the way that Amanda was treated. Like as in you kind of feel like Kramer's test for Amanda was really unfair. And I like how six adds a reframing to that in the sense that we see this note that Hoffman leaves for Amanda, which basically is him knowing that she was there with Cecil when Kramer's to-be child is um, died and Jill's child, the miscarriage. And he says, I want you to kill, you know, the person who's supposed to be saving John. Mm-hmm. And I want to know what you think about that reframing, because I think it really does show that John genuinely wanted Amanda to survive. I don't know. Like, that's my reading of it, that when it, like, but maybe it's because of the way they cut it with the flashbacks of kind of showing John trying to whisper, no, blah, blah, blah. Like, maybe that was them going, no, this is really what it was. And I'm just following their bait. But I want to know what you think. Do you think it reframes it to make him genuinely actually wanting Amanda to survive her test? Or do you think he was still really cruel to her? Um, I think he would have loved if she did survive. Mm -hmm. Like, I think he loved having her around and I think he would have preferred that. But uh, I, you know, I don't think John or Jill ever knew that Amanda was with Cecil. I think um, if they had it, I might have a different answer to this but i i still think that john knew there was a chance that amanda might not pass the test and he was Mm -hmm. totally ready for that and he still put her in a situation to you know to kill everybody and i think he didn't care to do that like he didn't really care either way because he figured he was dying too yeah so i still think it's cold and callous of him but it certainly does add another layer to Mm -hmm. Amanda would rather murder someone and die herself than sully her reputation with John. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she would rather kill herself and everybody else in the room than have John know that horrible secret, what she considers to be a horrible secret. And I think that gives another layer to Amanda. That's even more tragic. Yeah. It really kind of, it really does like, give more depth to her character Mm -hmm. and I like how in the same way with Kramer with Jigsaw the Saw franchise is very much about oh no we're not done with these characters yet you're still going to learn more about these people you're still going to discover more like just because they're dead doesn't mean they're gone necessarily from the narrative so I did enjoy that aspect of Six how it kind of reframed that and I think Mm -hmm. another thing it reframed for me because I remember discussing the previous films, because this is my first time ever actually watching Six. I'd never seen it before. So it makes kind of my discussions of previous themes kind of change a bit. But I remember kind of my previous discussions, I was like, I didn't know if he was 100% totally like very thought all addicts were terrible and he was just kind of certain addiction is a thing certain addicts, certain individuals should be punished, but he wasn't really criticizing addiction six puts that out the window he's very much addiction is a moral wrong and he there's that one scene where he's like confronting jill and he gets very angry and you can kind of almost see a little bit of fear in jill's eyes at seeing how angry he is by this but i think he's very much makes that comment about these people like are avoiding prison sentences and all makes this tirade about how terrible and immoral addiction is So I definitely think six really reframes that. And I want to know what you think about that. Do you think it is is it more they were doing the reframing because this film is about medical insurance, which I guess addiction kind of goes hand in hand almost with people not getting coverage. Do you think it was very intentional that they really double down on Kramer's views of addiction? I think if it wasn't intentional, it dang sure seems that way because Mm. it really does all go together. Like, on the one hand, you've got this criticism of medical insurance specifically, which, you know, is is 
very true. And one of the problems with healthcare in America is that it is seen as a moral failing to be sick. Mm -hmm. Like whether or not people will say they believe that, like culturally, that's something where it's like, well, if you're sick, what did you do to get sick? You shouldn't have gotten mm -hmm. sick. And it's seen as a failing and, and addiction in, in SAW 6 fits into that as well. And it's very, I think, it really speaks to Jill and John's relationship that she mm -hmm. is a healthcare provider and she is doing her best to serve underserved populations while he's going to war with an insurance company who won't serve even people with money. Mm -hmm. And he's telling her, you know, your work is not worthwhile. You shouldn't be doing this work. But she's the one actually providing healthcare while he's getting mad that someone else won't provide healthcare. And it really shows you how much I think I think they really loved each other, mm. but I don't think he ever respected her work. And I do think that she was a little bit afraid of him. Um, and I do think that I don't think the film is saying addiction is morally wrong, but yeah. I do think the film is pointing out addiction and even illness is mm -hmm. often framed as morally wrong in American culture and probably other places in the world, too. I'm just speaking for what I know. Um, and then you can't even get the care you need. So what are you supposed to do yeah no 100 and actually i think as you said in probably other places too i don't i think it's all almost that if it does feel almost like a uniquely american view but i think it's mm -hmm. almost it's actually more of a uniquely capitalist view as in in the mm -hmm. sense that in our capitalist hellscape where where <laughs> you know the whole point is that we're designed just to work that's what life is work 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 if yeah. you're unable to work because of any form of illness well then you're a flawed person you're not you're not you're not able to contribute to society you're not able to work so there must be something wrong with you so i definitely think we get that real proper insight into like kramer's own thinking and it's interesting how the film is criticizing you know medical insurance and criticizing this big part of american society and american culture and then on the flip side, you have Kramer in his own ideology, almost upholding this uniquely American and capitalist view of, yes, you know, addiction and illness being a moral failing. It's really interesting having those two kind of going hand in hand. And I think Six kind of walks that line quite neatly. And uh, I, yes. Yes. And I want with Six it has really good traps. I think it goes, again, it goes back into yeah. the Saw formula of having really good traps. So I want to know from, from Six, is there a standout trap for you? One that is like, you're kind of, when you're rewatching, you're like waiting for that scene almost. Is there one of those for yes. you? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, everybody talks about the shotgun carousel and it is great mm -hmm. but the one i'm always on the edge of my seat for is the hydrofluoric acid mm -hmm. at the end uh especially because it's so cathartic because you know i'm like yeah fuck that guy he sucks <laughs> even though i would never <laughs> ever talk that way about somebody in real life in the movie i'm like yeah go to hell and then his bottom half falls off <laughs> It's yeah. amazing. It looks it was... great. It's cathartic. Yeah. And oh, and Hello's Up is playing in the background. And I'm just like, yeah. So that's the one I'm always there for. Yeah. And I did like it. It did that really great saw thing of kind of going, oh, the test you were watching wasn't really the test you're watching. And like exactly. you realize that it wasn't his like he wasn't you know it didn't matter if he got to the end he wasn't the one really being tested it was actually the ones that were survivors of someone he unintentionally caused to die by his formula basically going yeah no we're not going to cover you because you had this random thing when you were like a child and you didn't tell right. him like yeah but and like that's actually just kind of going back to that scene it was it was really emotional that scene where yes. that, that father like finds out he's not going to get covered and I thought they really kind of they really highlighted the truth of those type of scenarios of how like harrowing they can be and like even though in Ireland the like healthcare system and medical insurance they're not as related to each other as they are in America it's 
rather different here, but just insurance in general works very much the same in the sense that insurance companies, they don't want to pay out. They will do everything they can because at the end of the day, they're a business and they're all about profits because that's what capitalism is. So they don't want to pay out, even though they technically should. And yeah, I want to know what you thought about that scene. And I think it really adds to the catharsis at the end when you kind of like have the two of them together. So I want to know how you, as someone who lives in America, where medical insurance is terrible and evil, what did you think (laughs) about that scene? Like, was was it impactful for you? Yes. And actually, thank you for saying that and asking that because sometimes I feel a little bit silly getting emotional at Saw 6 like you know if I just tell someone to that with no context they'd be like are you okay but it is emotional and like I have been in the room when you know someone has been told like this isn't going to happen for you and and Mm. the dad says you just gave me a death sentence and that's how it can feel and it it's just awful and i feel like you know whoever wrote and directed that scene must have gone through it too because Mm -hmm. it just feels so real and it does really add to the catharsis at the end where you're like this family's left behind and now they're faced with this choice about what to do and and i really like that the mom is like you know what i can't do it and then the son's like i'll do it yeah (laughs) i I thought that was interesting yeah so yeah it is emotional it is emotional yeah no it was and it it really does give that catharsis at the end to that like Mm -hmm. that acid scene like and i also liked how Again, there's like there's just so many twists in six. Like it's just twist yes. after twist after twist. It's like <laughs> double twists in one scene. You're just like, what? But like in the sense that you go the entire film thinking that they are his family. Because right. it was talking about you'll never see your family again and all of this stuff. And then the twist at the end is, no, no, they're actually the family of the person he gave a death sentence to. And the mm-hmm. journalist was actually his family. But yeah, I thought like that was just a really extra punch of a twist of like ha we did you again yes and speaking of tests six is Hoffman's test and Mm -hmm. which I thought was quite interesting because they have that one flashback of like Amanda going when's your test and he goes oh I don't need a test because like he's like again he's just so cocksure and he's just so like like you said it's his hubris that's really what six is kind of commenting on And I want to know what you think about that resolution of Jill and Hoffman's story in Jill trapping Hoffman in his own tests. What did you think of that and how that was pulled off? I mean, I loved it. I Hoffman thinks he's in control. Mm -hmm. He thinks he's taken the contents of the box from Jill and that he's carrying out John's last wishes, but there was part of it that was just for Jill. And so you know, she doesn't really put Hoffman through a test in the way that like William Easton is going through mm-hmm. a test. But I think I think all of John's and Hoff like I think all of Hoffman's work with Jigsaw was his test. And I mm-hmm. think John knew that Hoffman was failing at like holding up the ideology. And so I think the final instructions were like just kill Hoffman and make sure he dies. And you love to see the reverse bear trap come back and mm-hmm. her say game over, but then he gets out of it. Yeah. Oh, and you're just like, how? How does he keep slipping through <laughs> the fingers of justice here? Um, so it's great. It's tense. It's gory. You know, you're rooting for Jill and you're like, what is going to happen next? Yeah. No, it's again, he's a rather unfortunately resourceful person like uh, showing that he survives that trap by basically demolishing his hand and using the glass of the door like it was pretty pretty, like you know like I guess he his will to survive which is really yep which is what six and William Easton's test is about and like that's kind of like we have those flashbacks to Kramer and like his I guess his one like his discussion with William about how he kind of just cuts through the entire logic of like uh, the medical insurance system and how its failings in the sense mm-hmm. that it's like 
the one thing it leaves out is a person's will to live. And I think it's interesting to see that reflected in Hoffman in the sense that he's just like, no, no, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not going, I'm not going out of this. I'm still here. And mm-hmm. um, I thought that was rather interesting as well. But I want to know about William's test. Like I thought the amount that they put that man through, <laughs> you were just like, yeah. but also very deserving in the sense that just because, the film does such a good job of making you want to just want to see him go through more punishment because at the start after he gives the death sentence there's just that one little scene where he's talking to I think it's like the lawyer of the firm yeah and you know she's like oh how did you find out and he's just like oh it was the ball pin you know they did the work and it kind of again it kind of makes it look like they're kind of twirling their mustaches deliberately looking <laughs> to like make people suffer <laughs> which yes. Yes. I don't really think is how it works, but it's a good way of framing it. Um, mm-hmm. But he's kind of like just trying to excuse it, right? Ra- like rather than like just showing him having any humanity and kind of going, look, you know, we would have done everything we could, but unfortunately, right? The th- you know, none of that. It was actually him just trying to double down, going, look, he didn't tell us this. Thing. Like I thought it was, it really kind of made you want to see him be punished. <laughs> and yes. again it just adds to that catharsis of seeing his body fall in half because of the hydrochloric acid (laughs) because you were just like yes you've got that coming for you because yeah it was very cathartic (laughs) i do feel bad for his co-workers um that die because (laughs) you know yes they're working for an evil company but like they just need jobs Mm -hmm. it Saw Six has a bunch of people who just went to their regular jobs one day and then died. Yeah. Like, you know, the his file clerk, the custodian, mm-hmm. four of the six people, you know, that, that find the mistakes in the applications. Like, they weren't as deserving. And yeah, he, you know, he doesn't even have to like, it, it's not even like he has to live with those choices for the rest of his life because he dies right away. <laughs> So I I feel bad for those people, but it makes a great movie. Um, yeah, exactly. You're kind of like, <laughs> did they really? I don't know. But there was that one in the carousel scene. There was that one character, oh, like the one who like yeah. realizes like, you know, the other like, and I thought, I thought that was interesting as well. Like, it's an interesting commentary on, I guess, gender as well, in the sense that, you know, William saves two of the, you know, two of the women, like, you know, yep like it was interesting this like it goes into the i guess like that kind of commentary of on gender of like are women like somehow more deserving to be saved because they're weaker or inferior like you know what that kind of commentary is and and i want to like know what do you think there was anything in that but just before we get to that there was just that one character in the sweater vest once he realizes that he's gonna die you just see like the you know his facade come down and he literally yes. just rips into him he's just, and i thought that and like in a way as you said all these characters just kind of went to went to their jobs and they ended up dead the film was in a way in the fact that it's talking about medical insurance and the failings of the US healthcare system, it's really a commentary on the wider problems of capitalism. Because mm-hmm. this scene in particular, there's that one character of like, I did everything for you. Because it is that thing of like, you want to be seen as the good worker, you want to, you know, do everything for yeah. your boss. So you don't, you know, so you get those advantages. So you don't get punished and all this. And he's just like, I did everything for you. And you're still going to kill me. You absolute like evil corporate shull. And um, I just want to know what you think of the carousel scene itself, both on that maybe expanded commentary on working and capitalism, but also was there a commentary on gender with the who he saved? I love that you brought this up. Um, I think you could do like a whole mini episode just (laughs) about the carousel scene because there's so much to unpack Mm -hmm. in that dialogue and those choices. Um, The way that the six of them try to save themselves and put the other ones down. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the women says, I'm pregnant. And someone else says, that's a lie. That's not even true. Someone says, you know, you've met my kids. Mm -hmm. You can't kill me. I have kids. Um, Like, there's a lot to unpack there about who do we value and why. Mm -hmm. And like, if someone has to die, who do you pick? 
And I definitely think there's commentary on gender because not only does he choose to save women in the shotgun carousel, but he saves the woman in the, um, he saves his, I think she's an administrative assistant and he mm -hmm. decides to kill his file clerk, even though, she, you know, she's older and she has diabetes by his policy, you know, she would mm -hmm. be the less valuable one, but he decides she's more valuable because she has a family. Um, I do think there's something there about, and I don't know if this is a reach, but, you know, John Kramer wants a family so much and kind of this whole thing that Jigsaw is trying to teach people is to cherish their lives and value their families. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, women, unfortunately, are maybe more associated with family than men are, you know, because, mm -hmm. yeah, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I feel like my, I'm stumbling <laughs> over my words. I don't want to say anything stupid. Uh, <laughs> but I do, I do think that there's commentary on gender there. I don't think it's a coincidence that he chooses yeah. to save women every time he gets a chance to save someone. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. I'll stop stumbling over my words. I want to hear what you think. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely think it's rather interesting. And like, yes, there's that one scene where he chooses to save the woman, which the po his policy would say is like, you know, shouldn't be saved because right. this or this man is younger, healthier, all this different things going for him. And he saves her like both probably because he has more of a connection with her in the sense that, you know, I guess he's worked with her for longer. You know, he might have more of a relationship, but then also as well, that commentary on she has that bit of a family. Like there's that one scene, but with the carousel scene in particular, I think it's really interesting which, because there's three women in that scene and there's only, like, you know, which ones he chooses to save. I wonder, like, you know, again, you'd probably have a full mini episode going into that exploration of, like, you know, unpacking it. But it's like he saves the one woman who says that she has kids and, you know, has a family. So he saves her. And then the woman who kind of said that almost, lie about trying to save herself by being pregnant he chooses not to save her so it was i thought it was rather interesting the way he chose who to be saved and who not to be saved and um, so yeah i definitely think there is some form of commentary on gender in william's overall test and who he chooses to save and who he chooses not to and i think that one scene as well where he ends up actually she ends up dying the lawyer like but with with the contraption where it's going to pierce her brain he has to help her get through the maze like he seemed very willing to try and get her to the end because i don't know he, again maybe it was a woman or something like that he had that connection he like sacrifices himself by getting burned by the hot air and getting her to the end but then once he actually has to harm himself further by <laughs> getting the key out of his body he's like kind of like no no that's too far. I've, you know, I've got you to the end. That's as much as I'm willing to save you. And um, yeah, I think the film is just such an examination into his character. Um, yeah, you really get, and I liked that about six. In I guess in comparison to five, where you had a room of very much disposable characters as they just kind of get yes. whittled down. Six you get to spend time with this one person going through a test. And I thought, I think when Saw does that in the same way with the first film where it's just two characters and you get to spend time with them, when Saw gives you time with a character, I think that's when it really shines as a story, as a film, like as a formula compared to the films yes. where you don't get that time. And you just, I completely that. agree. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's the perfect joining of the two that makes six so good exactly yeah because it combines the time element of the first film with like i guess where we go from two with having multiple traps it kind of combines mm -hmm. the two of them really well and i quite enjoyed that and there's actually there was one thing i spotted in six and i don't know if it ever it, i'm excited to see if it gets touched on in seven and eight eight being jigsaw i'm not sure but there's that one scene before he goes into the carousel where it's a spiral on the wall now obviously i guess mm -hmm. to kind of indicate that it's a carousel but given that we have 
from the Saw family later on and down the line and we'll do a brief discussion of the weaker entry but there is the film Spiral and I just want to know do you think that Six with that little touch is kind of like maybe setting up future franchises or was it just it just happened to be because it was Carousel? I think it's just because it's a carousel. <laughs> I would love for there to be a stronger connection. And maybe one day we'll find it all traces back to that spiral. Um, but I, yeah, I think it was just to freak him out before he saw the carousel. Yeah, probably. That's probably probably my film nerd brain trying to like pick together but more. I love it. Something. Yeah, so as we were saying with the kind of the film like I want to know and I can't I think I know where you'd probably land but out of the two films which would you recommend to horror fans in general but particularly to people who are looking to enjoy the Saw franchise oh definitely six um I think if you just watched Six on its own, you'd be confused about all the Hoffman stuff, but there's Mm. enough tension in it that I think you could get on board. Um, And even if you didn't understand any of the Hoffman stuff happening, William Easton's test is, for me, far and away more entertaining than the five in Saw 5. So, Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And actually, one of the things that, like speaking of five and... It's interesting because it's similar to William's test and everything just reframing each other and touching each other. But Mm -hmm. in five, one of the things that we see, which doesn't really get touched on again in six. So as far as I'm imagining, I can't remember, but it probably will be in seven. Um, But in five, we see that Hoffman leaves with Jeff and Lynn's daughter. And, you know, so that's rather interesting to see what happens there like six doesn't expand on that at all because it's really just about Hoffman being tested by Jill so I want to know kind of what you think about that just little element like do you think that says anything about Hoffman as a character the fact that he almost saves their daughter like kind of takes the daughter do you think that says anything about Hoffman I do yeah I think um and he, and he brings her a little stuffed animal. I mean, I think he does it for the the newspaper headline that he gets, the hero cop saves little girl. Mm-hmm. But I also think, you know, he might be evil and hellbent on vengeance, but he wasn't going to let an innocent kid die just because her parents died mm-hmm. and, you know, not help her out. Like something in him made him want to help people in the first place i think he probably had good intentions when he became a police officer and you know stuff Mm -hmm. happened over the years that made him who he turned out to be but yeah he can't be all bad right because he didn't let a kid die (laughs) exactly i think i think it definitely would have went into proper extreme horror territory if he had have actually been like you know what the kid dies too so yes I, i think uh it definitely is at least made not a redeeming quality, but it's like, at least he's not that evil. And yeah, he's yeah. complex. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's complex. 100%. Like, like really any of the villains in the Saw franchise, they're all yes. complex, which I really like. Um, whether it's Kramer, Amanda, Hoffman, like they're all really nuanced and complex people. Like, and I think that's what, is one of the redeeming qualities of the Saw franchise as a whole is that it has like their people like they're not like you know supernatural beings you know this isn't Michael yes. Myers some evil killing machine you know this isn't Freddy or Jason like these are just like it's almost like true crime-esque in the sense that these are just yeah. people who are have really complex motivations um, and yeah like and six ends very much what's going to happen next and for to my listeners you'll know with our next episode when we go into (laughs) chapter seven which is which is like when you're looking at it on whether it's letterbox or imdb it's always like um final chapter 
3D. It's got like about five different names. It's like yeah. they couldn't decide on what to call it. So to anyone who's a bit confused, that's what chapter seven is. That has all those different names. And then eight is Jigsaw. So that's what yes. our next episode will touch on. So yes, I just want to again thank you for coming back on to discuss more Saw films and Saw goodness with me. And to my listeners, um, where can people find you on social media to get more in touch with the work that you do in the horror community yeah and thank you so much for having me this is just an absolute ball discussing these movies with you um you can find me on twitter and letterboxd at re underscore hellraiser amazing thank you so much and to my listeners come back next week for more saw goodness